seated. You know, as, as Aaron mentioned, my name is Travis Kearns, and I serve with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I get to serve in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the most non-Christian city in the United States and the second most non-Christian city in North America. Most non-Christian city in the U.S. and second most non-Christian city in North America. Now you might be thinking to yourself, oh boy, we got us a missionary. Where's the slide projector? Because the pictures are coming. When I was growing up, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. When I was growing up and a missionary got up to preach on Sunday morning, I thought, oh man, this is going to be so long. But I got worse news for you. Not only am I a missionary, I, once, I was a professor for almost 10 years at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky and taught philosophy. So I'm a missionary and a professor. But it gets worse. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, as I mentioned, which means a few weeks ago, I drove 10 hours south to Phoenix, Arizona, and sat in University of Phoenix Stadium and watched some football team from Tuscaloosa beat by five points my Clemson Tigers. That hurt my feelings. I drove 10 hours. They should have won. But that's okay, because I got good news for you. The good news is, is even though I serve as a missionary 2,500 miles to your west, and even though I was a professor at a seminary, and even though I'm a Clemson fan, I heard it already, bless him, Lord. <laughs> I am a NASCAR fan, does that get me some credit back? Right, Daytona's coming, praise God. The good news is this, the good news is we worship the same risen Savior, and we can get excited about football, and my wife's from North Carolina, she gets excited about basketball, we can get excited about NASCAR, but none of that stuff in eternity matters, because when you get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to say, roll tight or go Tigers. He's going to say, why should I let you in? And you got to say, it's not because of what I did, it's because of who I know. Aren't you glad heaven's a good old boy system? It doesn't get any better than that. If you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at 1 John 4 verses 1 through 12 this morning. As we just think about a very simple question and try to answer a very simple question, the question is this. The question is, what is the church to do? What is the church supposed to be doing? How many of you grew up in church? Let me see your hands. So pretty good number. How many of you grew up doing this? Here's the church. Here's the steeple, right? Open the doors, and what do you do? You see all the people, right? That is horrible theology. Horrible. When you think about what the church is supposed to be doing, you might be thinking about, well, we need to cut the grass, and we need to... I grew up in a place where they have church signs everywhere. Cody, you ever seen these, right? Our Sundays are better than Dairy Queen. All that kind of stuff. And you just think... Oh, give me something better than that, please. Right? You think about what we're doing in the physical location. It actually should go like this. Here's a building that may or may not have this white pointy thing on the top of it. And when you go inside, there's the church. 
And when you open the doors, that's when the church goes out. That's what the church is supposed to be doing, going out and telling people about who Jesus is. And then those who already know about Jesus, bringing them, bringing them into a closer relationship with him. So as we look at 1 John chapter 4 and we think about what the church is supposed to be doing, I don't want you to think about this physical place. Right when I was growing up, we called this the church house. Because that's what it is. It's a building where we happen to gather on Sundays. Think about you. Think about your spouse. Think about your kids, your grandparents, maybe your brothers or sisters. That's the church. So as we look at 1 John 4, I want you to keep those things in mind. Now, one of the things i got to tell you about myself is I grew up Southern Baptist in a very large church in South Carolina, 2,500 people on Sunday mornings. And this is the church where we had the choir robes, right? We had piano and organ only, no drums. Where's my drummer? Somewhere. He's All right. So you're going to love this, right? The drummer's in the crowd. The minister of music I grew up with would often say, the gates of hell have prevailed against the church when a drum set comes in the sanctuary. He was serious as a heart attack. So I grew up in a very traditional church. Some traditions are dumb. Others are good. One of those good ones we see in the book of Nehemiah, and that's when Ezra the priest got up to speak to the people and read the word of God to the people. He stood at a podium, and believe it or not, he read for six hours. And it says they stood in the honor of the reading of God's word. So if you're able this morning, stand with me as we read 1 John chapter, 12, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The world listens to them, but we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to me. Or listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Lord, bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. Let me not run in front of the cross or lag behind, but keep me at the feet of Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Be seated. So this is going to be super easy this morning. As we think about what the church is supposed to be doing, the first answer is this. The first answer when we think about what the church is supposed to do is that we're to test everything we hear. Test everything you hear. Now, how do you test what you hear? It's pretty simple. You start with the Word of God. 
and you end with the Word of God. You test everything you hear by the information found between Genesis and the maps. Nothing more, nothing less. The 66 books of the text. Let's look at the first six verses as we think about testing everything we hear. Look at verse number one again. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. My wife gets on to me sometimes because I love to watch things in order to kind of laugh at them. Yeah, it's a little strange sense of humor. I get it. I admit it. So I know I'm on step one of the 12-step program. I'm just not willing to go any further. One of the things I love to watch is Christian television. I love it. You know, there's a fella down in Texas who's got a large church and he'll remain unnamed, Joel Osteen. And when he <laughs> gets up, what does he do every weekend when he gets up? He says, all right, y'all, hold up your Bible and say it like you mean it. And they go through this mantra. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I am what it says I am. And, it, and I have what it says I have. And he goes on and on and on. And then he lays his Bible down on a nice podium and he walks away and he doesn't really return much to it. And then he goes on Larry King or some other news station. He's asked about gay marriage. He's asked about abortion. He's asked about people in other religions outside of Christianity. Are they still going to go to heaven? He says, well, that's between them and God. It is between them and God, but if they have a relationship with Jesus, they're set to go. If they don't, then it's going to be a long time in a lake of fire. It goes more and it goes deeper than just it's between them and God. And he waffles on gay marriage and he waffles on all these different things because he doesn't understand what the Bible really says. We have to test what we hear. Just a week and a half ago on Christian television, two very popular word faith teachers, they, they claim that when you speak it, that word becomes your faith and it becomes something in reality. You're going to love this, Cody, man. You need to do this, buddy, right? Ken Copeland and Jesse Duplantis sitting at a little table with a big sign behind them that says, Jesus is Lord, sit there talking about how they need a new private jet for their ministries. Because the old one they have is not good enough. And when asked by Kenneth why he needs a new private jet, Jesse said the following, when I get onto a commercial jet, there's just too many people that want me to pray for them and I can't get anything done. And then he said, the only way for me to get close to God is to get on an airplane and unbuckle my seatbelt when we're in the air at 40,000 feet and stand up and raise my hands up to the heavens. And I can't do that on a passenger airline. And then they start asking their viewers for 60 or 70 million dollars for a new jet. And they just give it right to them. Why? Because we've forgotten what the Bible says. Because we never knew what it said to begin with. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. I live in a place where 70% of our residents are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Another 28% of our residents hate religion. That means 98 out of every 100 people in the state of Utah are lost. 
Every day in Utah, 54 people die on average, and 53 of them die without Christ. That means of the nearly 20,000 people who die every year in my state, only 365 die and go to heaven. Can you imagine what it's like to live in a place where when you walk into Walmart or you walk into the grocery store or the gas station, statistically, you're the only Christian in the building. Do you understand what it's like to live in a place where a congregation your size is the largest church from Canada to Arizona? Think about that. You think, man, here in Alabama, we're just a maybe small to medium-sized church. There are some big boys around us. From Canada to Arizona, which is what our state convention covers, where Utah, Idaho, you'd be the largest church in the state convention. You don't understand what it does for me to be able to stand in a room like this around so many believers and get to worship with you. It's overwhelming. Now, why do I say all that? I say all that because a false prophet named Joseph Smith started a group in 1830. And now they have 15 and a half million people around the world that follow them. And they control an entire state. We have to test everything we hear because false prophets have gone out. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Then verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This, John says, is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Do you think if somebody says Jesus has come in the flesh, suddenly that makes him from God? That's not what John is saying. What John is saying is, if you confess that Jesus is the Christ and has come from God, then you're from God. But there's so much packed in there. The same guy that wrote this wrote just a few books earlier. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And a few verses after that, he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You have to believe in a Jesus who not only is God, but is somehow separate from God in a Trinitarian fashion and has always existed from time immemorial. There was never a time when he did not exist. And you've got to love him. And you've got to trust that what he did is enough. And that you can't do anything more to add to that. So what does he say then about people that don't believe those things? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, man, we had these movies. Aaron may remember these. Because the other guys on staff are not old enough to remember these. Y'all laughing because it's true. The first movie was called A Thief in the Night. Anybody remember those? There were four of them, and as they went towards the fourth one, they got more and more Star Trek-y. They got kind of weird. But The Thief in the Knife is about the rapture, and then there's this coming Antichrist figure, and all these bad things happen. Or maybe you remember the Left Behind series, the books. And this Antichrist figure, Nikolai Carpathia from Russia. You know, we growing up in the 80s, the, the Antichrist is from Russia. He has to be. Right now, the Antichrist is from the Middle East. He's got to be from the Middle East. We'll probably change our ideas, you know, in 20 years or so. But look what John says. He says, This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and what? Is already here. The spirit of Antichrist has been among the church since its foundation. In fact, the spirit of Antichrist has been here since Genesis 3. 
when God looks at Adam and says, I'm over you, and then there's man and woman, and then you guys are over the animals, and then they sinned, what happened? The whole thing got flipped upside down, didn't it? The serpent controlled the woman who controlled the man, who then blamed it all on God. That spirit has been around for thousands and thousands of years. That's why we must test everything. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now let me tell you, sitting at that football game a few weeks ago, I heard some screaming from Alabama fans and from Clemson fans. Every time Derrick Henry got the ball, Alabama fans are going, oh, here it comes. Our front seven held him to just one big run. I'm just saying. But every time he got the ball, every time Deshaun Watson, our quarterback, would get a snap and step back into a shotgun, the entire Clemson side's going, oh, here it comes. The big boy's coming. They got excited. I've been to Darlington for races, NASCAR races, and I have seen, honest to goodness, redneck excitement. I can say that because I grew up one. I've seen it. Verse number four ought to make you even more excited than that. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who's the them? The people that are possessed by the spirit of Antichrist. We've overcome them. Why? Not because of how great you are, but because it says Jesus who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You ever had a bad day? Anybody ever had a bad day? If you get it, read 1 John 4, 4, and it'll go from a bad day to the best day. Because you realize that Jesus is greater than your worst day. My grandmother used to say this. Honey, read all the Bible you can, because can't nobody take that away from you. When you have a bad day and you've been meditating and reading Scripture, the first thing that pops into your mind are the Scripture passages. Suddenly the day's not so bad anymore. Look at verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You ever wonder how these churches, so-called churches, that are huge, like Osteen's Church, Lakewood in Texas, you ever wonder how they get so big? You think, man, we, we sit here and we preach the Bible, and we read the Bible, and we teach it, and we're all into it. We do everything we know to do to get people to hear the message of Christ but we don't have 25, 30,000 like he does. You ever wonder how that is going on? How in the world does the LDS church, the, the Mormons, how do they have 15 and a half million people? How are there a billion Muslims on the planet? How are there three quarters of a billion Hindus? Hinduism is the religion of 330 million gods. There's a God for everything. How are there that many people that believe that? Because they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. The world listens to them. And then verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Test everything you hear. Test it by starting with the foundation of Scripture. It doesn't matter if it comes from this platform. It doesn't matter if it comes from a small group. It doesn't matter if it comes from your spouse or your parents. You test everything by Scripture. Secondly, 
And this honestly is the hardest one. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that we're to love other believers. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, I know in a church this size that there is one person in here who is probably presently upset with another person in here. And most time it works like this. There's somebody sitting way on this side of here. I'm not picking on y'all. I don't know any stories specifically. It's just an example. There's somebody sitting on this side that's upset with somebody sitting on this side, right? They're sitting as far away as possible. I pastored a church of about 60 in Louisville, Kentucky for six years, and I had it in a church of 60. And I just, right, you just want to grab my shoulders and shake them. What is your problem? Right? Oh, well, preacher, let me tell you my problem. No, that's dumb. <laughs> Come on. The world is fighting us. We don't need to fight each other. One of my professors in seminary was a man named Danny Aiken. And he said when he was a seminary student, he pastored a small church in Texas. And there was a lady in his church that every time she came in, his stomach would start to churn. He describes her in this way. I'm going to quote him. She was a broom riding, wart on the nose having, hat wearing, card carrying witch. He said, didn't matter if she said, if he said to her, I love you, she would question him. Now, pastor, why do you love me? Are you sure, pastor? Because the way you preached this past Sunday, you looked at me when you said something. And I thought for sure you're talking right about me. He said, that woman drove me crazy. He said, from the time I started pastoring that church, the time I ended, I didn't like her. But I had to love her. He said, ultimately, I would have given up my shirt on my back, last dollar in my pocket. I'd have done everything I could do because I loved her. Because even though she irritated me to no end, guess what? Jesus died for her in the same way he died for me. We have to love one another. Because look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love God, or does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. That's hard to love people you're around a lot, isn't it? Some of you are going, yeah, you don't know the people I'm around. <laughs> no, trust me, I come from the Jeff Foxworthy family, I know. All those jokes he tells, he wrote about my family. You know, we always talk about every family's got a crazy uncle. I've got four. <laughs> I get it. It is hard to love people, isn't it? Just admit it. It's hard to love people. Because nobody's perfect like you are. If they could just live up to your standards, if they could just do what you do, it'd all be great. If we were all the same, we'd really drive each other crazy. We love because God loved us first. If God can love us while we were spitting in his face, while his son is hanging on the cross and we are the ones smacking him, we are the ones nailing him to the cross, if he can love us through that, surely we can love each other. You know, it's fun to live in Utah. There's 70,000 Christians in the entire state. 
there's probably 70,000 Christians living within a 20-mile radius of here, especially if you add in larger cities if you go on to Birmingham. 70,000 Christians in the entire state. It might shock you to believe that one of the things that we do, and Aaron's kind of experienced this, and some of the guys from East Aboga have experienced this, and when you're driving down the interstate, you see a car with an ichthus fish, you know, the little silver fish on the back of the car that signifies you're a Christian. Man, we found a new friend. Because 98% of the state doesn't want you there. We used to host a Bible study at my house on Sunday nights, and people would come in at 5 o'clock. We'd have our Bible study at about 6.30. And then most times, the last person would leave on average about 2 a.m. I know what y'all are thinking. Now, wait a minute. The Bible study was only scheduled to happen for 90 minutes, right? When 6.30 comes, it's time for us to go. You know why they hung out until 2 a.m.? Because they knew that when they left our house and went to their house, and we knew the same thing, we're alone for the next week. Iron City, let me tell you how blessed you are to live around other believers. I live in a town of 35,000 people that didn't have a Christian church until 2013. It was the largest church or the largest city in North America without a Christian church. Had never had one. You don't know how blessed you are to live around other Christians. Love them. God loves them. God loves you. Show that love to them. Then finally, the third point. Verses 9 through 12 were to dine with sinners. Look at verse number 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If that doesn't make you excited, then nothing will. If you get excited about Alabama football or Auburn football or when Talladega, when the race hits up in Talladega and you can't get excited about this, I want to tell you about Jesus when we're done. You might think, well, man, that sounds harsh. No, it sounds true. We get really excited about things, but when it comes to Jesus, we look like the founding members of the convention of Eeyore lovers from Winnie the Pooh. Thanks for noticing me. Right? We stand, we sing Amazing Grace. You got to be kidding me. Jesus died on a cross and got up three days later so that we can sing Amazing Grace. No! We get excited, and when that excitement happens, it becomes contagious. And people around you want to know why you're excited and why you're happy in this old world. Boy, did you read the paper this morning? Did you see the news? Boy, it's an awful place. No, it's not. It's the place where God sent Christ. This is the best place where we could possibly live. He sent his son to die for us, and we are to tell others about that look at verse number 10 in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be here's a big theology word the propitiation for our sins the covering for our sins and we are to share that with others you know what those of you who are Christians in the room this morning if somebody hadn't shared with you you'd still be lost This is real bad theology here for a second, but just go with me. You don't want to be the guy that when you get to heaven, there's somebody standing in front of you in the line waiting to get up to Peter to see if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And 
that guy gets up to Peter and Peter says, well, you're not in the book. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And that person turns around and it's somebody you saw every day in and out of your adult life or maybe of your student life in school. And you never told them about Jesus. And right before they're thrown into the lake of fire, they look at you and they say, why didn't you tell me? Why did you hate me so much? And then there's verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loved us so much to send his son to die for us, we ought to want to tell others about that same love. Now this is hard though. When you're around lost people, they might say things that make you go, <gasps> they might talk about doing things that make you just want to cover your child's ears. They might want to go to a place to meet you and you kind of go, oh man, I can't go there. And every time they talk, you're just waiting for the next thing to come out to make you go, oh my goodness, I cannot believe he said that. I cannot believe she said that. I can't believe he wants to go there. I can't believe she went there. Let me tell you something, folks. Ministry's messy. You know, the Bible describes us like sheep for a reason. It's messy. And when you get into the lives of unbelievers, guess what? Some of that mess is going to get around you. You should never get around an unbeliever and go, I can't believe he said that. You know what you ought to say? That's exactly what he's supposed to say. I can't believe she wants me to go to that place. You ought to say, you know what? Doesn't surprise me a bit. I'm not telling you to say those things or go to those places, but I'm just telling you, don't be surprised. Ministry is a messy thing. It's dirty. People are just nasty. Vance Pittman, who's pastor of Hope Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, grew up in the great state of Sweet Home, Alabama. Huge Crimson Tide fan, bless his heart. Moved to Las Vegas a few years ago and planted Hope Baptist. And when they do baptisms, they don't have a nice baptistry inside. It never rains in Vegas. Never rains in Salt Lake. Let's do the baptism outside. So you're ready to baptize this woman. I'm not going to tell you exactly what she said. I'll let you use your imagination. They're ready to baptize this woman. They're outside. They've got it video feed, live video feed into the worship center. And Vance looks at the woman like he does everybody else. And he says, ma'am, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he came, that he is God, that he died and three days later got it from the grave and then rose into heaven, ascended 40 days later and died for your sins. And she, without even batting an eye, said, heck yes, I do. She didn't use those words. And the point is this. I guarantee you if that would have happened in my home church, there would have been a bunch of people inside that room going, <gasps> More concerned about that one word that came out of her mouth than the fact that she loved Jesus now. She was saying hallelujah in the only way she knew how. We've got to dine with sinners. You know, in a, in a crowd this size, in a crowd of any size, 
There's likely to be believers here. And I thank God for those of you here who have been touched by the master's hand. There's also likely to be unbelievers. And I never go anywhere without sharing a very simple message from the Bible. And it's very simply this. We're created to live in a perfect relationship with God. Now, I think it says something that we started out in a garden in a rural context, and after sin, we built cities and moved to the urban center. Just let that float in your mind for a minute. We're created to live in a perfect relationship with God, and God said, hey, boys, hey, girls, I'm going to put you in this garden. You can have anything you want. Just don't touch that. What's the first thing we did? Went straight to it. When you walk outside today, I guarantee you somebody's going to say, boy, the sun's bright, and somebody's going to go, what? They're going to look right to it, and you're going to be kind of blinded for a few minutes. Don't look at the sun. And the first human reaction is, where is it? You go right to it. That's what we did in the garden. God said, don't touch that particular tree, and we went straight to it, and it messed up the whole thing, flipped the whole thing upside down. The entire Old Testament is people trying to figure out how to flip it right side up. The New Testament says, here's how you flip it up. You can't do it. Only I can do it. Only God can do it. And the Bible says this. Cody, hang with me here. Don't throw stones at me yet. The Bible says, believe it or not, that when that big mess up happened in the garden, in the book of Genesis, that a massive gulf formed between man and God. And the Bible says, you're going to like this. The Bible says there are two ways to bridge that gulf. Two ways. You may have heard in the past, Jesus is the only way. No, there's another way. Just hang with me. The first way the Bible says is Leviticus 11.44. You know what that says? Be perfect as God is perfect. From conception to death, you can never do anything wrong. You can never say anything wrong. You always have to have the other person's best at heart. Not so that people will look at you, but just because you want them to succeed. And you can never have a bad thought, ever. And I'd like to see by a show of hands the number of people who from conception until this contemporary right now time have never had a bad thought, bad action, bad word, bad deed, nothing ever. Raise hands, please. That's good because I'm going to call you on humility and lying so you're up the creek. We can't be perfect. Walk into a Sunday school room full of three-year-olds and you will see automatically that there's no such thing as perfection. Why? Because the little boys are bang, bang, bang and my dad can beat up your dad and all that kind of stuff and the girls are doing whatever they do. Right? We're not perfect. In fact, the Bible says we are all something called sinners. We have all broken the laws that God has told us, these are my laws. We've all broken those. I love hearing sometimes my, my non-believing friends will say, the Old Testament is so much more harsh than the New Testament. I want to worship the God of the Old Testament, not the God of the New Testament. And I'm thinking, or the God of the New Testament, rather. I don't want to worship the God of the Old. I'm thinking, man, you're nuts. In the Old Testament, to be an adulterer, you have to commit, physically commit adultery. In the Old Testament, to be a murderer, you have to physically take someone's life. What about in the New Testament? Jesus takes it, puts it on steroids. To be an adulterer in the New Testament, what do you do? Have a bad thought about a man or woman that's not your spouse. 
In the New Testament, be considered a murderer. What does it take? Bad thought about a neighbor. The Bible says we've done these things. And we get paid for it. Isn't that cool? Every time you do something bad, the Bible declares you get paid for that. And the payment, the Bible says, is death. Well, that's no fun. Physical death and spiritual death. You can't escape physical death, but the Bible says you can escape spiritual death. And that's where those two ways come in. There's Leviticus 11.44 to escape spiritual death. Be perfect like God is perfect. Or there's John 3.16. Place your faith and your trust in Jesus. That when he hung on the cross and bled and died, that that's enough to cover for all those things we've done. You know what the best part about this message is? The best part about it is this. Is it's not based on you at all. In fact, it's in spite of you. And that's another one of those things that if that doesn't make you excited, nothing will. I know me. You know you. Aren't you glad that it's all on God and not on us? It doesn't get any better than that. Placing your faith and your trust in who Jesus is. And what he did in your place is all it takes. That'll make you want to turn and run from those things that God told us not to do. And you'll want to turn and run and do the things he told us to do. Now the best part of the news is this. The best part of the news is, is if you're not a believer today and that's something you want to talk about, there are people here that would love to talk to you about that. And your life on the earth is very likely to get harder because you place your faith in Jesus. Because when you start following the Savior, the enemy wants to get a hold of you. So I'm just giving you a forewarning. This Jesus thing, it's fun in the long run, but sometimes on earth it gets tough real quick. We moved to Utah in July of 2013. The first call we got to move to Utah was in October of 2012. In October of 2012, we didn't know it, but a tumor started growing on my mother's pancreas. October of 2013, three, month, or three days rather after her 65th birthday, she was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer and she lived for seven weeks. Spiritual warfare against believers is a very real thing and it hits very close to home very quickly. Just a few months later, in April of 2014, my grandmother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she died three months later. In the midst of all that, my mom's sister-in-law died of cancer. We have missionaries in Salt Lake City, pastors in Salt Lake City, who just go through months of anger, months of depression, months of things that don't make any sense. Or the pastor of First Baptist Church of Provo and his wife were 37 weeks pregnant and the baby died in the womb for no reason whatsoever. Christianity is not an easy thing. But God is good. And his love endures forever. What are we supposed to do, church? When we go out of these doors, what do we do? We test everything we hear. When we go out of these doors, what do we do? We love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You better start loving now because eternity is going to be a long time. 
We, goes out of these, we go out of these doors, what do we do? We share Christ with every person we see. Doesn't matter where you see them. Maybe the waitress at lunch, the waiter at lunch. Maybe the person in front of you at the grocery store who's stuck with you until they're done. Maybe the person at the gas station who pulls up across the pump from you that's stuck with you until they're done. Take those opportunities captive for Christ. Share about Jesus' love with them so that Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Alabama will never become a place like Utah that's 98% lost. Share with your neighbors, love each other, and take scripture as your foundation. Let's pray. Our God.